0: I want to invite you to take your Bible and join me in John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Today we're going to continue our teaching series, Live Like Jesus. Two weeks ago we made a transition, and uh, that transition was to go from the aspect of relational, the area that Christ was exhibiting and showing to us of how we are to be relational in our life, and then 2 weeks ago before the week of renewal we looked at this transition of going into the intentional part. Now we know that everything that Jesus did, everything that Jesus said was always intentional, very purposeful. There was nothing that happened by accident. Uh, we're going to come to a text today that is going to bring an intentional conversation to light, one that is very familiar to most of you but It's one that I think is really important for us to apply to our life to be motivated for these intentional conversations that God brings our way. Now, if you remember Hebrews chapter 12, we looked at two weeks, looking at this two weeks ago, we looked at this intentional endurance and looking to Jesus Christ, who is the the author and, and finisher. He is the source and perfecter of our faith. And that really corresponds right along with that song we just sang, that Christ is enough. If you believe that he is your source, he's the author of your faith, your where you stand, where you believe, where you are headed. If he is your ultimate source and the perfecter, the one that gives you that guidance through life, boy, that gives you such great confidence to be able to endure in those times of heartache and hardships. So today when we look at John chapter 4, we're going to look at a very, a very uh, well-known story. It's the woman at the well. It's the Samaritan woman, one that is a memorable story for many. So I want us to look in John chapter 4. We're just going to look at a few verses here at the beginning. So I want us to join together in verse number 7. You follow along as I read verse 7 through 15. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. Here's the engagement of the conversation. For his disciples were gone away. And How is it that thou, being a Jew, ask drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Well, Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Well, the woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water, pointing to the well, shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. And so this thought of an intentional conversation, what it means here in John 4, but what does that mean March tenth, two 2019 for you and me? Father, I thank you for the worship this morning and how it has prepared our hearts now for the, the reading and receiving of your powerful word. Lord, I would ask in echoing Scott's prayer that, that you would eliminate the distractions that bog down our mind in a, in a setting like this. There are a lot of things that are going in and out of our heads and some things that are on our heart, and we can definitely be distracted by those things. But we, we have come purposely to hear from you, and so I want to be set aside, hidden behind the cross, and allow you to give the message that we need today. So we'll ask you for that, and we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. There's so much content that surrounds the small text of scriptures that we just read this morning. When you look back at John chapter number 3, when you want to talk about intentional conversations, remember Jesus is sitting in a house with a bunch of sinners waiting for a religious man by the name of Nicodemus to come knocking on a door to peek his head in, to be invited in to have an intentional conversation. We would find later in chapter number 3, in verse number 22, 23, we're going to find that Jesus is going to make a move going from his first visit to Jerusalem, where he encountered Nicodemus, and now he's going to go away from the capital, away from the city, into the surrounding region of uh, Judea. As he goes into the surrounding region, he's going to find that his disciples, his followers, they're baptizing other believers The followers of John the the Baptist, the ones who have been learning from him, following him, who have been baptized by him, they're a little riled up, they're a little nervous because Jesus and his followers are now baptizing a little further up the Jordan River. What's going on? And when they approach John the baptizer about this information, John is obviously excited. As the forerunner, preparer of the way, John comes to the most famous saying that we know of him to say, he, Christ, must increase, but I must decrease. And so the ministry of Christ is beginning to take the center stage. There is this focal point now being directed to what Christ is going to say and what Christ is going to do. But we'll find also that in the surrounding area of Judea that many of these followers who are watching his miracles and listening to his teachings, they're only interested in making him their political king. They're under this harsh rule by the Roman Empire, and they're looking for somebody to come to rescue them from this tyranny, and and, and so they look to Jesus as that. They want to put him on a physical throne to be their physical king, and Jesus recognizes this, and so he is now going to leave Jerusalem, Judea, and go north to north of Samaria and go into the Galilee region. So on his way to the Galilean region, we're going to find that this is where he's going to have this divine appointment He is going to have this intentional conversation. And it's going to be one that is going to be life-changing. I love what we see about Jesus. It's really where we get what we say often here in our conversations of the gospel with people that we encounter. It's about breaking down barriers, building relationships, and planting gospel seeds. Now, with this Samaritan woman hanging out at the well, we're going to find that the gospel seed took root... And that she met the saving grace of Jesus Christ that day. And not only her, but many others who their lives would be changed because broken down barriers, relationships which were built, and gospel seeds which were planted. This is intentional conversation. So Jesus is going to teach us a lot of lessons here that I, I wanted to, I said there's a lot of content, and we really could take a lot of time to, to spend here in John chapter 4, but I, I kind of want to hone in on what is important for us today, and so let's look at a, some of these thoughts together. In this intentional conversation, Jesus sets the example in verses 3 through 9 that he did not avoid the uncomfortable conversations. Jesus never avoided the uncomfortable conversations. We saw back in chapter number three, remember I told you about how Nicodemus would knock on the door, and Jesus is going to tell him, just as he would tell in our present passage with a Samaritan woman, the things that were not easy to hear. So the Galileans, they were reluctant followers of Jesus. The Galilean followers, they were were going to be observers. They were going to watch them. You've got Galilee, which is going to be north of Samaria. That's where Jesus is headed. But everywhere he goes, he's going to encounter people that are just reluctant. They want to see the miracles. They want to experience the hoopla. They want to hear the teachings. But we're going to find later on in the book of John that when rubber meets the road and Jesus says, if you want to be a true follower of me... It means that you're going to deny yourself and take up your cross in order to come fully after me. Well, it was at that point that many of these reluctant followers said, you know what, we've been kind of holding you off at arm's length, and now I know why. And they were going to leave him. They did not want to sacrifice So these Galilean followers who are reluctant, they are going to set this example of of people who were wanting to see and experience some excitement but not willing to commit fully of themselves. And in their encounter with Jesus... This is going to be radical change. We know that Jesus was very radical, opposed to the the traditions of men and and the doctrines of men. We know that what he was going to say and what he would teach and what he was, was going to do, this was very radical for them. But he was not going to shy away from the uncomfortable conversations. Now, the next group of people are the Pharisees. These are the Jewish leaders. And their response to Jesus is that they were just completely opposed to him. I mean, he was going against everything that they, had, that they had learned or everything that they had wanted to claim ownership of. They made him very, they, he made them very uncomfortable with everything he would say, with everything that he would do. Uh, they hated his claim to be God. They, they despised and denied his claim to being the Messiah that they have been awaiting for for centuries they were completely opposed to who Jesus was and everything that surrounded Jesus. But we find that Jesus, again, never avoided the uncomfortable conversations that he would have with the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders. Now, it's interesting, though, to see who is going to be receiving of him. In our text here in John chapter number four, is going to be the Samaritans who were welcoming to Jesus, He didn't avoid the necessity or the opportunity to travel through Samaria. We know that as we study this story, the quickest route or the direct route was not to go around, cross the Jordan River north, and then cross back over the Jordan River just to get into the Galilee region. Many people would do that. Many Jews just wanted to avoid the conflict and the conversations that would be had while traveling through Samaria. Samaria. The Samaritans and the Jews, they didn't, they didn't connect well. They clashed, and, and there was a lot of angst, and there was a lot of hatred against these two groups. So Christ was not interested in saving time. He was not interested in going the easier route. Christ had a divine appointment, and he was going to fulfill that appointment. Look at verse number four. Look at how John writes this. He must needs go through Samaria. Samaria. You know, what's interesting about that is in this Greek verb, we find that John is going to use this same Greek verb many times throughout his writing in reference to Christ fulfilling the mission that God the Father had sent him to do. This same Greek verb is going to be used. Look, let's just jump through. You, you've got your Bible open. Look at chapter 3, verse 14. If you want to write these down in your notes, you can look at them later. As Moses lift up the serpent in the wilderness, even so, here it is, the same Greek word, must the Son of Man be lifted up. This is a must. Chapter to Here again, in verse number 4, chapter number 9, verse 4. Here again, Jesus says, I must work, I must do, I must work and do the works of him that sent me. While it is day, the night comes when no man can work. Same Greek verb, I must do. And then jump to chapter 10, verse number 16. And other sheep, he's speaking about being the good shepherd, other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. And they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Chapter 12, verse 34, if you want to write that down. And then chapter 20, skip all the way towards the end. This resurrection of Jesus Christ in verse number 9, chapter 20. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So John is going to hit on this right here in John chapter number 4. He's going to use it often to speak about Jesus fulfilling and doing with the responsibility and the sacrifice to completing the mission that the Father had sent him to do. He was always mindful of that. If you want some chapters and verses in John to reference about him doing the will of the Father who sent him, jot down 6 chapter 6 verse number 38. You'll find even here in our text in chapter 4, verse 34, he's going to say to his disciples, my meat, my fulfillment, my food is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Chapter number 5, verse number 30, chapter 17, verse number 4, these are all referring to Jesus. His focus was to do the will of the Father. Now you say, why is this important? Every day many of us, if not all of us in here, we live out a mission of something we must do. How many of you, here, of you in here are responsible for a little human being getting up, getting dressed, bathed, fed, and off to whatever that day's responsibilities are? How many of you are responsible for little human beings? All right. I can tell because you're like this. Yeah, it's me. All right. I understand. Okay. How many of you are in here are responsible to be at a workplace? And you've got to be there, you've got to do your job, your task. How many of you are responsible for that? All right, many of you. How many of you in here are responsible to another human being? Maybe you're retired, which I hear is the most busy time of your life, but uh, whatever it is, you're responsible to another human being. How many of you in here are responsible to another human being? How many of you in here are responsible to a four legged friend who has to be eaten, or not be eaten, to eat? be eaten. I'm not sure where that came. Okay. Yes. Many of you in here. Okay. So those are must do's in our life. What does it take in order to accomplish that? Sacrifice, self-discipline, motivation, responsibility, taking a hold of that must to do. That's where Jesus is. see, Jesus is sent by the Father to accomplish the will To be the propitiation, the sacrifice, to be the substitute on the behalf of mankind. To live a sinless life so that he could be the sacrifice on the cross. Not because he was guilty, not because he deserved it, but because motivated by love and submission, he would give his life freely for the ransom of all mankind. The free gift of salvation being offered to all today. Because Christ was on a mission. And if Christ had ever veered away from that mission, there are a lot of someones who would be suffering greatly because of it. And you and I are a part of that, someones. If Christ had not stayed on mission, if he had veered away, if he had not taken his responsibility seriously and stayed on task, if he would not have been must doing what he was called to do, we would be suffering greatly today. And notice throughout this text, the humanity of Christ. The humanity of Christ in chapter 4, verse number 6. He was weary, and the Samaritan woman recognized him to look as another Jew. So this humanity of Christ is really important. We talk about the God incarnate, so God in man form. And we talk much about the deity of Christ, for the deity of Christ is really what all John, the gospel of John, is written for. And, and it's allowing Christ with his words to claim the deity where he is God in man form. But I think too often we bypass the humanity aspect of Jesus Christ. It's crucial to recognize that all the gospel writers were fully aware of the humanity of Jesus. The strategic Christian doctrine of the incarnation, God becoming man, is not merely a theological assertion about the deity of Jesus. It is equally, that's key, it is equally a theological assertion about his humanity. Heresy results when either element is omitted or submerged. So to set the stage, Jesus here, with his deity, but also with his humanity, his humanity aspect would come in setting the stage to break down Barriers with this Samaritan woman. Why? Because she would be moved by the very fact that this Jew would speak to a Samaritan woman. The conversation began because, in his humanity, he had drawn weary and needed water to drink. So, with that thought, the stage is set for this intentional conversation. Look at verses 14 through 26. Because, secondly, we see that his conversation was guided by love, it was delivered with confidence, and it was spoken with purpose. You see, these verses really could be a four part series in and of themselves, but we're not going to take the time to go verse by verse 14 through 26. Because the content, though it is rich and gives us enough to chew on for a really great study, I want us to narrow down a few items today for our study together. So let's just dissect this point. His conversation was guided by love, delivered with confidence, and spoken with purpose. Let's spend the rest of our time looking at this. Would you go with me? First of all, guided by love. He offers her eternal life. In verse number 14, whosoever drinks of this water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Now, in verses 12 and 13, Christ broke down the barriers. When you see in verse number 12, she says, Art thou greater than our father Jacob? Hmm. Now, Jacob would have been the Jewish line that we find the 12 tribes, the 12 sons coming from. Josephus, the first century historian, would record that the Samaritans declared and took claim to the fact they wanted to say that their line had come from Jacob to Joseph to then Manasseh and Ephraim. Well, the Jews denied this. They hated this claim. Because that would give them some part and claim to being Jewish. This would have given them a claim to the line of Jacob and Joseph, Manasseh, and Ephraim. Now, Jesus, we're going to find, would even really reference to the fact, would kind of align more with the Jewish way of thinking. Because you remember in Luke 17, verse 18, when Jesus ministered to the ten lepers? And you remember there was only one leper that returned back to him to say thank you? And he called him a foreigner, a stranger, because he was a Samaritan leper. So Jesus would even reference this point that the Samaritans were strangers. They were foreigners. He would not align with the agreement here with the Samaritans that they were from this Jacob, Joseph, Ephraim, and Manasseh line. But do you notice that Jesus doesn't combat that thought here? Do you realize that what she says? She says, our father, Jacob, which gave us the well... And drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle. Jesus doesn't say, whoa, 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 you are mistaken. He does not go that route. Why? He's guided by love. Jesus is going to break down major barriers here. What does he not concentrate on? The non-essentials. Jesus is not caught up on the things that are only going to cause more friction the things which are going to shut the door, the thing that's going to build more bricks on top of a barrier, on top of a wall, trying to have this intentional conversation. Jesus is going to be very purposeful here in how he's going to address this. This enabled him to be guided by love. He was not going to get bogged down with the distraction. He was not going to cause friction and barrier. He offers her water that would give her eternal life. Now make sure that your conversations are guided by that same love. Sometimes our conversations are motivated by pride because we want them to know that they're very wrong in their assumptions. We want them to know that they're very wrong in what they're claiming or what they're saying. Or we want to speak our thoughts and our truth. We want them to know our knowledge. So many things are spoken out of um, contention Maybe sometimes it's it's guided by just more friction. I'm, I'm reminded of Ephesians 4, 29. Remember what Paul would write to the church at Ephesus? He would say, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is to the use of edifying, building up. You remember what the last part of that verse he says is that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Now, remember what Paul is writing in that chapter. Let's look at the context. Because in chapter number four, what Paul is writing is about a new man in Jesus Christ. He is saying, put off the old man, renew the spirit of your mind, and put on the new man. Now, with this new man comes a completely different way of thinking and talking and acting and functioning. Let him that stole, steal no more. Don't lie, speak truth. Uh, don't uh, give place to the devil. Let no sin, or let no, let not the sun go down on your wrath. And he says, all of this is different in how we function now as a new creation in Jesus Christ. He says, let all wrath and bitterness and, and, and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. He says, that's not a part of a Christian's life. He says, to be governed by the, the Holy Spirit, which is why we are sealed. He says, all of this is to be identified as a follower of Jesus Christ. Then he comes to the part where he says, let your communication, let, your, let, let this be uh, seasoned with grace so that your hearers are built up. So the question we have to ask ourselves is this What opportunities have I had for my hearers to experience edification and grace from my lips? What opportunities this past week did your hearers, were they built up and edified and and they were given grace by the things that you said? Teenager, evaluate what you said to your parents this week. Was it building up or was it tearing down? Was it seasoned with grace or was it a dagger of poison? What are you trying to do with your speech? What are you trying to do with your conversation? Mom and dad, parents, grandparents, husbands, wives, church family, uh, employees. How, how did people hear you this week? Did they hear contention? Did they hear anger? Did they hear hate? Were there daggers of poison or was it seasoned with grace? Did they hear building up statement? Those who've had kids in your home or who have kids or have teenagers, you know, that's a, constant, that's a constant thought process. But sometimes at the end of your day, when it's time to do family worship, family study, or whatever it is, by the way, this doesn't have to be a 30-minute production. It's just gathering everybody around and just saying, okay, let's evaluate what we said this, this today. Hey, um, you, you go first. What did you say today that would have been encouraging? Now, what did you say today that might need to be evaluated as possible poison or destruction? And then with bashfulness, they say, oh, I did say this. Okay, well, why did you say that? Like, what was your motivation to speak that? And I was frustrated. Okay? And we begin to just evaluate different things, and we talk through those things. What was our motivation? And it's always going to come back to pride. It's always going to come back to sin. But then... What we help our children and teenagers and our husbands and our wives understand is that they're not alone on this island, that we've all been there, we've all done that, and we all have the t-shirt to prove it, because we have been the one that has spoken poison and who have used words to tear down. So the intentional conversation that Jesus is going to give is one that is guided by love as he offers her Salvation, this eternal life. And then secondly, in verses 16 through 18, it was delivered with confidence. Here we see that his claim to being omniscient. In verse 16, he says, Go call thy husband and come hither. Come here, go get your husband. And the woman answers and says, Well, I, I have no husband. And Jesus says unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands. And he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, and that saidest thou truly. Isn't it interesting how Jesus plays here a little bit with this conversation? He commends her for her truthfulness. You have very well said the truth. You have no husband. Yeah, you got five husbands, and the man you're with right now isn't even your husband. Come on, lady. Let's get with it. So Jesus is going to be here. He's going to be confident. He's going to be direct with what is truth. He knew all about this woman, and with confidence, he tells her to go get her husband. She is not going to outwardly lie. She's going to technically be truthful, but her statement is potentially misleading. But Jesus, with his fine irony, he quickly removes all doubt as he commends her for truthfulness, but then calls her out with her sin. Now, he moves this conversation because here... This lady is still still thinking about this water. Like, you're going to give me eternal life? You're going to give me this water that I'll never thirst again? You don't even have a pail. You don't don't have a bucket to, to put down the well. You see how deep it is? This woman is confused by this whole thought of water, that now Jesus is going to make a transition to go from this topic of water to talking about her need for repentance and for salvation. So here's where the conviction begins to settle in. She's confronted with her need. And by the way, this message of truth, which was guided by love, it has to be delivered with confidence. As a local church and being responsible believers together, we know that sin always, always has to be confronted we don't shy away from sin. We don't brush it under the rug. We don't hope it goes away. We don't, we don't pretend like it doesn't exist. Sin has to be confronted. And unfortunately, many times people who've been in the church for decades, 20, 30, 40 years, they think that the only sin that should be confronted and called out is the wide open sins that are just permeant in our, in our society. And they're ready to point it all out. And, and they've got a huge beam sticking out of their own eye that they're not willing to look through the mirror of God's Word and see, ouchie, I've got a big old bean that needs to be removed. So sin collectively as a church body, it it has to be confronted. And we say this often, that the the integrity of the gospel has to be protected. And the purity of the church has to be preserved. And and if we're not interested in, in protecting the integrity of the gospel and the purity of the church well, then we're just functioning as the next social club. We're just functioning to, to gather together so we can have our small groups and drink coffee and eat donuts and laugh and, and share together and read a little Bible and then come in and do the same thing in a corporate setting and we enjoy this song or we don't know this song and what's this tune or I love this tune and, and, and then we go through all of the motions and we can't wait until he's done so that we can get to our next thing. And if we just want to go through our body, we're responsible to one another to preserve the integrity of the gospel, the true gospel, by the way, in a community that wants to have a lot of God conversation, but never set apart Jesus Christ as the holy one who needs to be followed and worship. And so within a community like this, we have to stand for true, pure gospel and protect the purity of the church. And so that's a mission. That is is a a, a priority, and God here, Jesus, was was confronting that issue, but I love that he doesn't leave her hopeless. He doesn't have the conversation and say, well, get my lunch, and those are coming, and I think they might have picked up a BLT, so I've got to head out and uh, get my lunch, and and, uh, maybe we'll, we'll have another conversation. He's broken down barriers. He's built a relationship. Now watch how the gospel seed is continuing to be planted. In verse 25 through 26, his conversation was spoken with purpose and he claims deity. In verse number 24, this this lady is, 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 is is, is being drawn to her sin. She's being convicted of her sin and she's starting to realize her need for salvation and she's beginning to learn that who she is with face to face is eternal life. Watch what happens, because in verse number 24, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Why does Jesus speak these words? Because in verse 20, she, she says, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. She says, Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Now, Jesus is going to say, Whoa, no, no, no. It's not about a place. He says, I want you to see that it's about a person. So he says that God is a spirit. Now, by the way, God is a spirit does not refer to him as the Holy Spirit, though the three part of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three equal parts. But this verse is not proving the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. It is simply stating, as Jesus says these words, that God is a spiritual being, that he is an invisible being, that he is not a material being. Jesus was God in material form. He was in man form. But he was making this claim of truth that God is a spiritual being. And he says, those who want to worship him, the one true God, are going to worship him in spirit, that is, in our heart, and in truth. By the way, if we're going to worship God in our spirit, that's not an outward conformity so that men can be pleased by who we are. True worship is going to come from within that helps conform our outward appearance and everything that we do. But that life change happens within our heart, worshiping God in spirit and worshiping God in truth. That word in truth is referring to God's word. It's referring to not man-made doctrines or traditions of men, but, being, but worshiping God in the truth of his scriptures. Understand, spirit and truth is the key variable that is missing from this well-known first-century Samaritan Jewish theological controversy, worshiping God in spirit and in truth. This is a key element of controversy right now. Why? Because she thinks that this worship and meeting of God has to happen back in Jerusalem at the temple. Okay? Now, remember, God revealed himself to Moses and all through the Old Testament... And for them to encounter God they would go to the tabernacle and they would go to the temple. But now what has happened is is that Jesus Christ has come. And so God is going to be revealed in his son Jesus Christ. And so now Jesus is communicating, lady, hey, this is great news. Worshipping God is not about a place, it's about a person. And she said and he says, "I I'm he." He says, you don't have to go back to Jerusalem. You don't have to go to the temple. You don't have to go find this answer or this solution. I am he. I'm here. I'm in front of you. The woman's life is changed at that moment because she realized that the God who revealed himself to Moses and all throughout the Old Testament as Yahweh, as I am, or in our English Bibles, the Lord is now being revealed through Jesus Christ, who also is the I am, who is the Lord. And so there can be no physical geographical restriction anymore, as we see in verse 20. What defines true worship is no longer the physical temple, intentional conversation. Our conversations have to be centered on Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for this building. I'm thankful that today we can sit in comfort, padded seats, air-conditioned flowing, modern restrooms. We, We can function within four walls with a roof over our head. But do you realize this is not the church? You realize this is just the blessing of a structure that the church, we, get to meet in every week. But if we said, hey, let's meet down at Christina Park next Sunday and let's just sit out on one of the baseball fields and let's do our worship service out there. Guess what? We're going to church. We are the church. It's not the place to find God. It is the person of Jesus Christ by which we find God to worship. And so don't get bogged down with the non-essentials in your conversations. Don't get nervous with the possible interactions. Don't get insecure about the questions that you, you're not sure if you know how to answer. By the way, how many of you met Will Galkin last week? Okay, Will Galkin preached. Maybe you didn't have a personal interaction, but you saw him. Okay, how many of you saw him last week, Will Galkin? How many of you think he's a pretty smart dude? Raise your hand. Okay, he is. But you guess what he told me during the week? He said, yeah, my, my two of my kids wanted to have coffee and and uh, just asked me some questions. And he said, so we got together one at a time, and, and we just sat at Starbucks, drank a coffee, and they asked me questions. You know what I had to tell one of them? He said, you know what, that's a really good question. I'm going to I'm gonna have to study that and think about that. I was like, what? Ask me, Will, I'll tell you the answer. That's what I told him. <laughs> no. I was like, yeah, that's it. That's what we all need to hear. That's what we all need to be reminded of. Hey, don't become insecure in intentional conversations Don't avoid the divine appointments of God. Don't be so nervous that you don't want to have the conversations because you're afraid of the interaction and the questions that might come to your way. There's a Holy Spirit which is empowering you and there's also a sense of humility that enables you to be able to say, wow, that's a really good question. I'm going to have to get back with you on that. The intentional conversations can just begin with our personal story. Tell them your story of change and what God has done. Did you notice the deity of Christ in those verses? We looked at the humanity of Christ. He was weary. He was a Jew. And look at the deity of Christ. Verse 14, he offered eternal life. Verse 16 and 18, he's omniscient. He knew, go get your husband. I don't have one. Yeah, you're right, you don't. You've had five and the guy you're with isn't your husband. Go get him. But then also he claims his deity in verse 25 and 26, because when he says, I that speak unto thee, am he. Now, number three, we're not going to dive into today. And actually, last, uh, this weekend as I was studying it, I looked at this thought and I said, man, this is missional. So I'm going to save this for a few weeks. And when we look at Christ being missional, we're going to come back to verses 27 through 38. You have number three, though, in your notes. He demonstrated the need... And he expressed his mission to his disciples. You notice the woman, she's, she's not speechless, but rather she's gushing out. And she goes to tell the people in the village. And what do they do? Yeah, that's nice. No, they came and met Jesus. We'll get to that in a couple of weeks. Christ longed for his disciples to have his burden for souls. Well, oh, that depends. You know, do you mean like real conversations with adults? That's probably two conversations with a four-year-old, that's like 80, you know, Um, and then other people said uh, a variety of different things of how they have conversations. You know, when we think about this intentional conversation that Jesus had, our prayer should be, God, would you give me some conversations, some divine appointments this week that I could have those interactions? One of the things that God worked in my own heart this past week, I'm I'm taking a seminary class and it's, um, it's called Discipleship and Family Ministries. And within the family ministry aspect, I'm I'm learning so much of the responsibility that we have in our homes to be discipling the ones that God has put right beside us, our spouse, our children, the people that God has put us in interaction with on a daily basis. So when I've been digesting this thought, I I wrote this. I said, you know, as parents and especially as dads, now some of you in here, moms, moms, There's a man or a dad who's dropped the ball, and that's unfortunate. And so maybe God's impressing upon your heart that number one, you're praying for him, but number two, don't default, but take take the responsibility. So, those young people in your life, those children and those teenagers, you have an opportunity and a responsibility. And so, when I say as dads or as parents, we need to be intentional with our discipleship of our children our children, our teenagers, our college students. As John Calvin once said, he said, constant conversation should be held with children in order that fathers should diligently attend and apply themselves to the duty of instruction. Centuries ago, dads, they would pass on the family trade and they would do it with great pride. And as they would pass on their family trade, they would be appalled by the fact that their son would not take up the mantle and continue the family business or the family trade. But so much more in the way of our Christian followings, that we have this responsibility to train them, not in the athletic abilities, not in the ways of smarts and knowledge and wisdom, but in the ways of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. As the church body, we should take up that mantle. We definitely need to see that this responsibility is in our lap. There's so many that have claimed this. Martin Luther says, It is the duty of every head of a household at least once a week to examine the children to determine what they know or what they have learned. Natalie and I have not mastered this, but it's definitely something that is in my head and my heart of having those intentional conversations in a couple of months, Michael and I, Michael Battle, the children's pastor and I, we're working together on developing a session to do with parents on how to share Jesus with your child. And a second session that's going to be a little bit longer, of more weeks, is going to be how to disciple your family. Because the church has to come beside you to partner with you, not to take the responsibility, but to partner with you in the home to raise up the next generation. And that comes with intentional conversation. Now, this week, you say, well, I don't have commitments are happening in your life all the time. So would you be willing today to say, God, would you open my eyes to the divine appointments and then give me the boldness to obey and to have those intentional conversations? Don't shy away. Don't go the other route. Some of you want to cross over Jordan, turn north, Cross back over Jordan just to get to Galilee where your comfort zone is. And some of you want to avoid Samaria. But some of you in here need to go through Samaria this week. Divine appointments. Intentional conversations. Live like Jesus. Father. Oh how much we desire to be like your son Jesus Christ. And he has given us so many intentional examples. Today is one of those powerful, powerful examples that Jesus gave. But with divine appointment on his heart and mind, he went to have intentional conversation. Thank you for using that moment with a Samaritan woman at the well, for her eyes to be open, her heart to be convicted, and for her life to be changed. Why? Because Jesus was motivated out of love He was going to have great purpose and conviction with what he was going to say. And with great boldness, he was used in that moment to break down barriers, build relationship, and plant gospel seeds. It took root in a heart called the Samaritan woman, who passed it on to a village town of people, who came to meet Jesus. Why? Because he was just finding his fulfillment to do the will of the Father who sent him. So God, today, would we be willing to pray for those divine appointments? Would we we be willing today to say, God, give me the desire for intentional conversations? Would you give me the desire not to back away, to shy away, or to avoid these opportunities, but to stand up for truth? Would you lead us in that way? Father, use this time of invitation, time of application, to stir our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you look this way for just a moment? I'm not really sure how God uses a time like this of studying His Word and giving us His message of how He does work in our life. But, but I can't help but as I communicate His message to you, I can't help but be convicted. I'm being refreshed by what I'm studying and what I'm looking into and as I'm seeing Christ give and offer this conversation that was guided by love, I want my hearers to be hearers of grace. I'm tired of daggers of poison. I'm tired of conversations trying to break down. I want to be used by God with intentional conversations. And if that's you today, I, want to, I just want to ask you to talk to God about it. Would you offer yourself to him? Would you pointedly, specifically ask him for divine appointments and intentional conversations even this week? Would you be willing to do that? If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your savior, I want to have a conversation with you. This Jesus who confronted the woman and Nicodemus in the chapter before, he offered them eternal life because only he could as the way, the truth, and the life. And so if you've never experienced that change in your life today, I invite you to come. Let's stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. This morning with our invitation, our application, would you just take time to talk to God? You can kneel here at the altar, you can sit in the front pew, or you could sit right there in your chair, your seat, wherever you are, I just want you to have that opportunity to talk to God. So I'm going to be quiet, and I'm going to allow you the time to talk to God.